On today's episode of the This Is Believe Fun podcast, I am joined by Jesse Pearson, who is the managing editor of the Colts coverage for Full Press Coverage. Hi, James. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, how are you doing uh, hanging out at home? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's actually been somewhat, I won't say enjoyable, because, you know, it's not a great circumstance, but I haven't worn, you know, non-elastic pants in several months, so I am enjoying that. And I've worked my way through several series on Netflix and Hulu, so uh, I guess things could be worse. We've been really fortunate and lucky. Uh, everybody's been healthy for us. So how about you? How are you uh, making do with your time? Uh, I'm doing pretty good uh, on the pants front. Uh, I think I've worn jeans uh, about five times, so okay. uh, lots of shorts. Overachiever then. Uh, yeah, lots of shorts. <laughs> Uh, you know, basketball shorts, uh, lots of uh, joggers, stuff like that. Sure, but, sure. Uh, also making my way through some television shows, watching The Sopranos for the first time ever, because I never got okay. around to it. So, All right, yeah. How's it treating you so far? I am enjoying it. Uh, definitely getting a lot of references I didn't get before, so that's right, always yeah. fun when you, right, when you yeah. come across something like that. I, I had a similar experience. I watched Pulp Fiction for the first time like a year, maybe two years ago, but it was the same thing. Like, oh, that's what all of this has been in reference to. Wow. Eye-opening. Yeah, sometimes, you know, just you find something new and it's just like, oh, that's what everyone references. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. I, I get it. Um, but the reason I had you on today was not about uh, clothing or TV shows is talk about, <laughs> to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. And they seem to be a, a team that is, uh, I I guess kind of being aggressive while planning for the future at the same time. Uh, you know, going out and getting Phillip Rivers was a sort of a aggressive move. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that you really nailed it. That's sort of been Chris Ballard's MO since he's taken over. He's really, made the, the roster a lot younger and more talented, but he's also built it into a, somewhat of a win-now mode. Now, obviously, Andrew Luck retiring last year set things back in a, a very strange way that, that nobody really could have predicted, probably. But, um, you know, they're, they're in a good position now that Houston's made some questionable decisions as far as the way Bill O'Brien's running the show there that uh, I, I think the AFC South is pretty wide open between the Colts, the Texans, and the Titans, who obviously made it to the, uh, the AFC Championship game last year. So um, I, I think if you look at the Colts last year, they started off really well, even with Brissett playing pretty conservatively. Uh, things fell apart once he had an injury to his knee. Um, they lost the game in which he was injured against Pittsburgh, and then the following week, uh, Brian, Brian Hoyer came out and just laid an egg against Miami. So uh, you could see things really fall off a pretty steep cliff then. But even with all of that, even with, with Brissett's conservative play, uh, they had 15 missed kicks on the year. They had nine missed field goals and six extra points. So really unfortunate circumstances, but they were still seven and nine. So you'd think with Phillip Rivers adding – 50 yards or more to the passing game. And, you know, Adam Benatieri is now gone. Uh, well, they haven't made any final decisions there, but in all likelihood he's gone. So you think with, with a juiced up passing game and uh, an improved kicking game and some changes, I mean, DeForest Buckner also adds an extra punch to the, the run defense and the pass rush on, on defense. So I, I think they're in a pretty good position to probably win 10 games and at least contend for a playoff spot, if not win the AFC South outright. So uh, I, I kind of like a lot of what they're doing this year. Yeah, you mentioned the Texans making a lot of uh, questionable moves, and 
uh, someone who used to cover that team. Um, I'm glad I do not anymore. I can only handle two dump or one dumpster fire at a time. <laughs> Doing two is a little bit much. Um, the divorce Buckner move. I, I really liked that trade. You know, it was a, an aggressive mood, and uh, it was something that you have to value or evaluate whether or not can you get this quality of player with your draft pick. And right. a lot of times, it's it's an easy decision, especially where you know you know Indy may have been picking and where those players may have uh, fallen in the draft. Uh, the Pittsburgh did something very similar by trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, mm-hmm. with their first round pick. So if you can get a, a proven commodity who's good, who's young, you know, someone who you can build around your defense, I think that's something you, you can do and you do it often. Yeah. And, and hopefully uh, Buckner has a similar impact that, that Fitzpatrick had in Pittsburgh because he really kind of lit the league on fire last year after he got out of Miami. So hopefully Buckner has a similar impact. And I think it, it's, the player that San Francisco ended up drafting with that position was Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, who, you know, you, you never know the accuracy of a mock draft, but he was a pretty frequent target for the Colts in a lot of mock drafts. So you think, okay, you have a wild card in Kinlaw who has a ton of potential and could be a very good player or Buckner, who's a few years older and more expensive. Sure. But he's a proven commodity and you know exactly what he's bringing to the table. So I, I like that move a lot. Um, it was a surprise when it first happened to think, wow, you know, Chris Ballard has mentioned frequently that he loves his draft picks and, and he wants to stockpile picks. But if you can get a future Hall of Famer at quarterback and Philip Rivers and a Pro Bowl defensive tackle to, to really kind of galvanize your defensive front into Forrest Buckner, you have to make those moves. And I think that, that uh, once this sort of initial shock wore off, it, it really makes a lot of sense. And I think it was a great decision. Yeah, definitely a quality move on the defense. Uh, on offense, getting Phillip Rivers, definitely a good acquisition for them. Uh, they were rolling with Jacoby Brissett for a while. He seemed to perform admirably, but from an outside perspective, it seems like they pretty much just juiced that orange and there's not really a whole lot left there. So going with Rivers is a, a no-brainer upgrade. I, I think that's... A, a pretty accurate statement. And Brissett is really well regarded among the locker room. His teammates love him. His coaches love him. Um, and I think it's not a question of talent for Jacoby Brissett. It's a question of, of decision-making, I guess, that he's just not willing to push the ball downfield. And he had good numbers as far as, you know, limiting turnovers. That's fine. But you still need a guy to try to force a throw. You, you have to go deep once in a while. You mm-hmm. have to beat a tight window. You have to beat double coverage. You have to, you know, T.Y. Hilton's one of the best deep threat receivers in the game still, even at, at age 30. You have to let him go. Uh, and, and you got a lot of bad decisions where it was just, okay, it's third and 12, and I'm just going to check down for three or four yards in the flat. And, and so you've probably seen Jacoby Brissett's ceiling, that mm-hmm. he's a good backup quarterback who can win you, you know, a couple games in a pinch if your starter's injured. But if you really want to hit your wagon to him, I think the best you're going to do is probably eight and eight, which it's just not good enough. So, yeah, I think Rivers is an upgrade. Rivers is obviously willing to to force the ball. Hopefully he can cut down on those 20 interceptions that he threw last year. But he's at least willing to take those chances. And that's not something they had last year. Yeah. And with having a quality backup in Brissett, I think that's something valuable to have with Rivers because he is older uh, mm-hmm. and all it takes sometimes for one of the older guys is just one hit from somebody. And, you know, Tennessee's got a good defense. J.J. Watt's still in Houston. One mm-hmm. of those guys could hit Rivers, and he might get hurt. And you need someone at least capable of 
holding down the fort. I mean, Brissett can do that, and I think they're they're set in that, and they have one of the better, I guess, backup quarterback situations in the league. Right. It, it's a weird setup that they're investing like fifty million dollars into their quarterbacks right now uh, because they're still paying some dead money to Andrew Luck um, post retirement, and then they're paying twenty five million to Rivers and twenty one million to Brissett. So with that much money just in your quarterback position, I, I think. Initially, once they acquired Rivers, the thought was, okay, they have to trade Brissett or they're going to release him or something. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to have to to want a player like this. But really, A, I don't think he has much trade value because, you know, after the quarterback free agency and after the draft, that what's done is done. And most teams have probably addressed that need if they have one. Uh, and Cam Newton's still on the open market. So would you rather have Cam Newton or, or Jacoby Brissett? Well, you know, if it were me, I'd prefer Newton. Um, but I do think, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it just takes one hit, and, and Rivers is 38, 39 years old. He has been super durable. I mean, he started 200-plus consecutive games now, so I don't think you have to worry about him being injury-prone. Uh, However, yeah, if if he does go down and you've pinned all your hopes to him, then you at least have a well-respected backup guy that not only knows the system but knows the players and has a, a sense of chemistry there with the receivers and the offensive line as well. So it's a pretty good setup. Just hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully uh, Rivers is able to, to man the wheel for all 16 games. Yeah, so they have a lot of money with Rivers and Brissett. They took a quarterback in the draft, Jacob Eason. How mm-hmm. do you feel about Jacob Eason? I think he's – I mean – he has the physical tools. Again, he's sort of like Jacoby Brissett. It's the, the physical tools are there. Uh, he needs to be able to stand in the pocket when things break down around him, and he needs to hold on to the ball. Uh, he was a little turnover prone. He, he was also relatively inexperienced, basically just his true freshman year at Georgia, and then last year uh, at, at Washington were his only two years starting. So he still has a lot to learn about the game, but he's in a great position to learn. I mean, he, again, has a future Hall of Famer as the starter, has a well-regarded veteran uh, backup to learn from in Brissett, and Frank Reich was a longtime NFL backup who can kind of show him the ropes of, like, this is how you need to prepare. Um, so I, I think the the ideal scenario for him this year would be that he makes the active roster as the third-string quarterback, that he never even comes close to, to sniffing the field this year, and then next year they can kind of reevaluate whether they want to re-up Rivers for another deal since they just have him for the one year. Um, as it stands right now, they don't have any of their three veteran quarterbacks. That's including uh, third stringer Chad Kelly. So Rivers, Brissett, and Chad Kelly are all uh, out of contract after this season. So Eason would be the only quarterback under contract in 2021 unless they decide to bring Rivers or Brissett back. So uh, I think if he's allowed to mature and grow and, and really learn how to process NFL defenses, then maybe he can be a starter in a couple years. But um, I think in the fourth round, it's, it's low risk, high reward. You know, there's really no penalty if he doesn't pan out. You've just wasted a mid-round pick that you can easily get back. Yeah, pretty much worst case scenario. If they don't like the development of Jacob Eason, they aren't going to re-sign Rivers or Brissett. They just draft a quarterback next year or explore free agency or the trade market. I mean, exactly, exactly. And you know, if if Rivers throws another twenty picks this year, the Chargers drafted I think sixth overall this year. So if they f- end up drafting in the top ten next year, then they can just get his replacement, and really, there's uh, no harm done, I guess, in the long run. Yeah, and you know. Looking at some of their other draft picks, I, I found that <clears throat> some interesting uh, some interesting picks. Jonathan Taylor, um, Wisconsin running backs don't necessarily have the best track record. 
they're they're usually getting a lot of carries at Wisconsin, and there's a lot of mileage on those tires. But I I think in Indy, there's at least some sort of... He won't be a full-time guy, so you can be able to ease him in, get the most out of him while he still can, while he's already been hit and banged up quite a bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, he had almost 1,000 touches in three years at Wisconsin, and he had roughly 2,000 scrimmage yards each of those three years. But yeah, that's, that's a lot of usage for, for a young guy. And um, as you mentioned, I mean, Monte ball and, and Melvin Gordon and the, the list goes on and on. They're okay. And those guys can end up being reasonable starters. So is there a reason to, to scout the player and not the the helmet? You know, is, mm-hmm. is he going to break the mold of the Wisconsin running backs? He's got a great setup going for him. I mean, he, he can rotate with Marlon Mack, who ran for 1,000 yards last year, running behind one of the league's better offensive lines and, and a coach who's committed to running the ball. So, yeah, he he's in an ideal setup. And really, I've mentioned this a couple times on, on some other podcasts that I think the Colts offense is going to look a lot like Wisconsin's offense. You're going to see tight ends and fullbacks. You're going to see eye formation under center and handing off and letting guards pull around in space. And, um, you know, you have one of the better – young offensive lineman in the league and Quentin Nelson. So that's a, a nice building block to, to run behind if you're coming into a situation. But Taylor is physically skilled. I mean, he's 225 pounds and he runs a 4.3940. So he's bigger than any of the running backs the Colts have. And he's just as fast as Naheem Hines, who doesn't even weigh 200 pounds, who's sort of their third down scat back kick returner. So physically, he, he really brings a lot to the table. But yeah, Hopefully uh, there's no durability issues. He also fumbled 18 times in college. So, you know, that's not going to cut it. Um, if, if he has those issues, then, you know, they're they're going to probably show him the bench and just ride with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. But he definitely has the the potential to, to add another punch to the offense's running game. So we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. You, you mentioned Quentin Nelson. I'm a big Quentin Nelson fan. That dude's just a monster. Yeah, he's he's the only left guard that I've seen and I'm a former offensive lineman. So I kind of watched that position a little closer anyway, but mm-hmm. how many left guards have highlight reel videos, you know, on, <laughs> that come out on Mondays, the day after a game where like Brian Baldinger is breaking down, look at this big Q pancake, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's awesome. And, and I think from the, the moment they brought him in, he's been everything that they expected him to be. He's been not only great on the field, but he's also a leader in the locker room. Like guys aren't going to screw around and, and kind of slack off because you have a six foot six, three hundred and thirty five pound bear who's going to hunt you down if you're if you are slacking. So he's he's really been everything that they could have hoped for, and uh, hopefully he's able to have a ten or fifteen year career in Indy. Because yeah, I, like you, I'm just a fan of his game. I love watching him play. Yeah, not many uh, offensive linemen get highlight reels. Uh, he's definitely right. one of the few ones. Uh, what do you think of the Michael Pittman pick? Because uh, like running backs from Wisconsin, wide receivers from USC don't have the best track record in the NFL. Sure. And I like his potential. Again, what they've lacked is a, a complimentary piece to T.Y. Hilton for the last couple of years. Uh, and they tried last year. They drafted Paris Campbell in the second round out of out of Ohio State. But he dealt with like three different distinct injuries that kept him sidelined a lot. Um, so you're getting Pittman at six foot four, 225 pounds, sort of a bigger guy that they haven't had uh, to sort of play that split end opposite T.Y., who's obviously you know, smaller and more of a, a quick in space kind of guy. Um, he's got really reliable hands and I like that. 
uh, you mentioned, I mean, the, the track record for USC receivers isn't great, but I don't think they're going to ask him to come in and be a number one guy right away. Um, he's going to fit in a rotation with T.Y. Hilton, who's a pro bowler, tight end Jack Doyle's a pro bowler, uh, Paris Campbell. They like him for, you know, jet sweeps and screens and, and kind of plays in space like that. And then Naheem Hines is a good option out of the backfield. So he, he's sort of a five man rotation where he it could it, when he's called upon, he needs to produce. Uh, but he's shown consistent hands, and he only had five drops in, in his collegiate career on uh, quite a few targets. So I like the ability there. Um, if he can be a, a consistent five-plus touchdown receiver, you know, f- over the course of his career, then I think that they will uh, they will have gotten everything they needed out of him. Plus, Rivers has a long history of of receivers being six-four-plus. I mean, he just likes throwing to big receivers, so it, it's uh, an added presence in that passing game. You mentioned Paris Campbell. Uh, Paris Campbell is a big fan of his, you know, as I am a Buckeyes fan. So sure. I, I watch him all the time. Uh, and he is what he is. He's someone that's got to be used in space. He's got to be on those those shorter routes, jet sweeps, mm-hmm. you know, maybe screen passes. You know, he's not an outside receiver. And I think that they ha- if they're going to put him in the inside where he belongs, that he'll be able to perform to at least an adequate level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think they had really high hopes for him. Um, just playing on turf at least eight games a year, you know, where he's able to really showcase that speed. Uh, it, like I said, he just he had a, like a sports hernia, he had a broken hand. He just dealt with some different injuries that were sort of unrelated. But um, yeah, he's got unlimited athletic potential. And um, yeah, I think there were some that were kind of I won't say disappointed, but there was a growing fan base uh, to bring in Terry McLaurin, another Buckeyes receiver last year who was also an Indianapolis native. So when they went with Campbell over McLaurin, there was some scratching the head. And then McLaurin had a pretty decent season last year as a rookie while, while Campbell was riding the pine. So um, I won't call it a make or break year, but I think a lot of fans would definitely want to see some, some added contribution from Campbell. He's also uh, one of their primary kick returners. So if he can add some explosive elements to the field, you know, to the, to the game that way, uh, kind of short, in the field and then get some plays on jet sweeps and stuff where shake a tackle and then he's gone for 50 yards or so that's that's really what this offense has lacked is that complimentary piece to ty hilton who's beating defenses over the top okay well now he's the guy underneath that can shake tackles and make people miss in space yeah definitely uh definitely a very important season for paris campbell and you know his his long-term outlook or if he stays in indianapolis this Mm -hmm. you know past uh his rookie deal um, is there anything they did in the draft that you didn't like or something you wish they would have done? Um, I won't say that I disliked it. I thought they would have added a defensive end. I thought they needed a little more edge presence. Um, they let Jabal Sheard go in free agency. He still hasn't signed anywhere, so there's, I guess, potential that he could come back. Um, but they like Kamoko Toure, who was in his second year last year, who was kind of coming on, but then he broke his ankle against Kansas City and missed the rest of the season. Uh, they also drafted Ben Banigou out of TCU in the second round last year. So my guess is they're just counting on those two guys to, to sort of step in and become uh, impact contributors. But yeah, I was a little surprised they didn't address that in the draft. Um, but they had some needs that they that they really needed to fill. Um, the one that surprised me was, was Julian Blackman, the safety from Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was a good player, and I had actually sort of had him pegged as a prospect in the later rounds just because he tore his ACL uh, in the Pac-12 title game in December. So he's going to miss the entire offseason. Um, and they have Malik Hooker, who's 
on the now last year of his rookie deal, but then it's it's sort of shaken out. They've declined the fifth year option for Hooker. So if Blackman turns into be the player that they expect him to be after drafting him in the third round, uh, then they may just be willing to let Hooker walk and then kind of just bump him out with with Julian Blackman. So that was a bit of a surprise. And really, I was surprised with with Jonathan Taylor as well. But I've had some time to kind of simmer on that and and let that one ruminate. And I think that that, it makes a little more sense. So I would say not addressing the edge and then picking Blackman as early as they did would probably be the the two biggest surprises of the draft class. But I'm going to give Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt. I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's he's done a, a pretty good job so far. Right. Uh, Malik Hooker seems to be someone who's could go either way, uh, really, mm-hmm. about his future with the Colts. Uh, has mm-hmm. he, is he just not performing up to the level that is, is expected to? Is it a is it a scheme fit issue? What's going on there? It's a few different things. So he was he was the first draft of of Chris Ballard's tenure in Indy. You know, they got him, I think, fifteenth overall, where somewhere in that range in twenty seventeen. Uh, at the time, Chuck Pagano was still the head coach, and he was running a bit of a different defense, uh, more man, press man on the outside with a single high safety, and that's sort of the role that they envisioned for Hooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they moved to the Tampa 2 defense now with with uh, Frank Reich and his defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus. So it's not quite the same defense that he was drafted for, but he's also really just been derailed by injuries, I think has been the big part. Um he started to come on pretty strong his rookie year, but then he had a knee injury that set him out the rest of the season, kind of derailed his progression there. Uh, his second year last year was sort of not last year, two years ago was sort of coming back from that injury and kind of getting used to, to playing again. Um, he was also pretty inexperienced at Ohio state. I, I mean, no one questions his athleticism, but he was, you know, he only started, you know, 15 or 16 games or so at Ohio state. And he had the uh, labor issue when he was drafted. So there's a, a bit of an injury history. And then I think just understanding how NFL defenses function, you can see some games last year uh, against Houston, their second game against Houston and then against Tampa Bay um, where he, he's either standing flat footed as receivers are running right by him, or he's, running forward while receivers are running by him without the benefit of knowing what the coverage calls are and what his exact responsibilities are. You can't exactly blame that on him. Uh, but it does look a little strange to see, you know, your supposed deep half free safety running forward. And then, you know, Mike Evans or, or Nuke Hopkins runs behind him. It's like, uh, I, I gotta think that there was a mistake there. So, I won't say that the Colts are completely done with Hooker. I think they like him. Again, they drafted him in the first round, so obviously they think pretty highly of him. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out, though, since this is now the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, does he want to leave because they didn't pick up his fifth year? Does he sort of have some hard feelings? Uh, do they want to move on from him? Do they want to, to, to just ride with Julian Blackman? Um, I would like to personally see him come back around, but he's going to have to prove it. You know, they can't give him a lot of money if they can't trust him to make plays. So we'll see. Um, no, nothing's set in stone yet, but yeah, that was a bit of a surprise decision. He just, he has a little bit of, uh, of improvements to make. Uh, another, uh, defensive back that, uh, the Colts have former Brown TJ Carey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not surprised the Browns let him go. Uh, mm-hmm. only because of how much money he was supposed to be making. Uh, I think he'll be a productive member of the uh, Colts secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not hes not like a star corner. Obviously, that's probably what right. they're pegging Xavier Rhodes to be, at least. And, and I, yeah, I don't think they're counting on Kerry to really... I, 
so Kenny Moore is their starting slot corner, their nickel corner, and and they are unless someone has signed a new deal, Kenny Moore is the highest paid uh, slot corner in the NFL. So he's really uh, part of the engine that makes the defense go. Kenny Moore is. So last year he got hurt and there was a steep drop off in play from that slot corner position. So I think that's what they have envisioned for Kerry is to be that guy who, yeah, he's not going to be necessarily a star or even a starter. Mm -hmm. uh, but if something happens to Kenny Moore or one of their outside corners, whether it's Rhodes or Rocky Sin, um, that, that he's at least uh, a proven NFL veteran that can step in and, and at least handle his business, that um, he's a depth piece. So if they go in certain nickel packages or dime packages, he's a guy they can bring in and, and kind of use to, to create matchups. But yeah, I don't think they're really going to be counting on him to be like a Darrell Revis or anything <laughs> and, and lock guys down. He's more of a depth piece, but he's a, a proven veteran commodity. And I think um, that was something they wanted to address that, if, if Kenny Moore gets injured again, we need to have a better plan than what we had last year. So that's that's really what they have in mind for him, I think. Yeah, it seems like TJ Carey should be able to help in that regard. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking at their their season, when it starts, if it mm -hmm. starts, mm -hmm. uh, how do the Colts project to, to look in your eyes? Are, are they uh, up for a winning division, a playoff contender? I think I think both really. Um, I have them slated at ten and six, um, and I think they they get a pretty favorable early quarter. Again, this is all things could change depending on how the schedule shakes out, and, and if we have a season, if we have a full season, uh, if we have a, a truncated off season, all of that. But their first four games, they have Jacksonville, Minnesota, the Jets, and the Bears, and I I have them going four and zero to start. Um, interestingly, I, I think their first loss comes the next week in the trip to Cleveland. I think that's going to really? be a really exciting game. Um, and, and it's just, it's, I like the matchups there. I, I don't know that it's going to be a blowout one way or the other, but I, I think by that point, we will know a little bit of what the Browns are going to look like this year with their new coaching scheme and the, and, and the, the new players that they brought in. They've kind of had some time to get their legs under them playing in the dog pound and a later start at four 30, uh, I, I have that as the Colts' first loss, but yeah, overall, I think ten and six is a pretty reasonable uh, record for them. They do have some tougher games, you know, hosting the Ravens. They host the the Packers. They have a tough stretch there, uh, coming off of that Ravens game. Then they're at, on the road at Tennessee on a Thursday night, which is their only primetime game of the year. Um, and then they finish up with with uh, they're at Vegas. They're hosting the Texans. They're at Pittsburgh and then hosting the Jaguars. So those last four, it's a lot of traveling as well as playing really important uh, divisional matchups that, that, you know, Jacksonville at the end of the season, for whatever reason, the Colts just Jacksonville is always a thorn in their side. Like the Jags could be two and 14, but they will hold the Colts to like six or nine points. And it's just going to be some weird, ugly matchup. Um, so I think 10 games is pretty reasonable. Whether they can squeeze out an 11th, I would say probably 11 and five would win the division. 10 and six. I don't know if it will. Um, I'm not very hot. Like, I guess I'm not all that intimidated by anybody else in the division. Again, Houston's making some really questionable moves, but they still have Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt. And, and that counts for something. Mm -hmm. uh, Tennessee has a pretty solid overall roster. They're not really explosive in any one area, but they're just really tough. And to play them uh, on a short week on a Thursday night, that could be a really important game coming. It's so it's in between uh, Baltimore and Green Bay. They have to travel to Tennessee. So um, 
it's it's manageable that they could win 11 games and take the division. I think it's probably more likely 10 and 6 and a wild card berth. Okay. Uh, interesting that you you picked them to lose to the Browns so decisively. Um, I view that game as like a toss up, like coin flip, uh, honestly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you're higher on the Browns than I am. Uh, well, I liked what they did bringing in Conklin and then drafting Wells. I think giving Baker some help on the O-line is, is important. Um, I didn't see a ton of Cleveland games last year, but what I did see, it just looked like he was he was sort of seeing ghosts and getting happy feet, and uh, whether he had pressure or not. So addressing the O-line, I think, was the right move. Um, there's, there's no shortage of talent in Cleveland. It's just a matter of can everybody in the organization get aligned? I think that's been the question for – 20 years now mm-hmm. um to have everybody on the same page but um yeah no i i think it's more it's it's just sort of the way things fall on the schedule you know you always kind of look yeah. for one of those trip up games that uh in between they have the bears the browns and the Bengals. so and, and then the lions after that so not necessarily a murderer's row but i i just don't know if i see them being seven and oh eight and oh by the time they they play the ravens uh i feel like they're going to slip up somewhere along the way uh and just in looking at the overall talent i would say cleveland is probably one of the more talented teams that they're going to face in that stretch yeah, trying to avoid the uh the mythic trap game pretty much right. there sure you know uh <clears throat> g- give me your perspective on on baker mayfield as a, as a person who covers a different team because sure, I'm, yeah. I'm always interested in what other people think of them because it, it, everyone's opinion varies so much. Sure. Uh, I think Baker, again, Baker has the talent and Baker can win games, but Baker also loves him some Baker. Um, he probably, like, part of it is is the juxtaposition with Andrew Luck, who came in. He's the number one overall pick. He didn't do any promotional deals or commercials for his first two or three years in the league. Like, he really wanted to establish himself as not just the number one pick, like he's, I haven't played a game yet. Who am I? So he, he was a lot, um, he was a lot different personality. I, I mean, you, you might not find two more different people than Andrew Luck and, and Baker Mayfield just personality wise. But, um, I, I like Baker's game. I, I mean, I really like the, the fiery competitiveness. Uh, I, like you, I'm an Ohio state fan. So seeing them win in Columbus and plant the flag, like, you know, I didn't necessarily love that, but, um, no, he's, he's a, good ball player and and he's got weapons around him i think he probably needs to just grow up a little bit and and maybe uh say no to a few commercial deals and and focus a little more on just becoming a a professional player and becoming a a, an nfl quarterback um but i think the sky's the limit I, i mean i don't think there's any reason that he can't succeed as long as he understands that you have to win some games or, or those commercial deals are going to start to fall off a little bit. You, you mentioned Andrew Luck doing a commercial and it was with all people. That was the one with Mike Trout, wasn't it? Yeah. And that was like, and, and then like seven years into his career. And with, then he like retired. Know, he did one yeah, commercial right, and retired. Right. Yeah. So I think body armor or something like that. One of the, like a, a, a sports drink, um, paid a lot of money to have him and Mike Trout dress up in goofy disco costumes and kind of do that. Um, but I think he started, it was probably like 2014 or 15. He did a couple like direct TV commercials and stuff like that, where he'd been in the league for a couple years. Uh, but mm-hmm. he definitely, it wasn't like as soon as he's drafted, he's, he's making commercials, um, mm-hmm. which is somewhat endearing. I think, you know, you don't always see a lot of that humility from, from guys of his caliber. So, you know, not to say that, that Baker's a, any sort of immature guy, but 
it's probably pretty hard if if State Farm or whoever says, hey, we'll give you $100 million if you make this commercial. Like, I think most of us are probably going to say yeah to that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Baker just just probably needs to, to cool it on that and, and grow up a little bit and maybe commit himself to, to being a pro. But hey, I, I don't fault him for, for chasing that money. I certainly would in his shoes. Yeah, not a great track record for Browns quarterbacks making commercials before they play a game. Uh, I can think of I can think of Brady Quinn back in 07 in a Subway commercial. Uh, it was like yeah. a, a two five dollar foot long deal, and they're right. like on Sundays, like, "Hey, I'm busy on Sundays." And it's like, "What? Yeah. Well, no, you're not." Um, <laughs> uh, then Johnny Manziel in the Snickers commercial. Right. Yeah, 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 not a not a good track record for Browns quarterbacks and commercials early on in their careers. It's not, but but again, like <laughs> you have to get everybody from ownership down. Everybody has to be aligned, and, and Cleveland just keeps trying to rechurn its roster and its coaching staff and its GM and its its front. Like it's now the Haslam's as the owner. Like just give people four years, and I know it's hard to do. Like you're being paid to win now, and you have to win now, but it's not. If it was easy, everybody could do it. Like you have to give people some time, uh, and I'm certainly not saying that they are at fault for you know not putting their stock behind Brady Quinn or Johnny Manziel or Tim Couch or any of these other guys over the years. But um, you know, if they invest in Baker Mayfield and they allow the coaches to stay in place, they allow the scouts and the administration to stay in place, and they surround him with players like. That's the only way you can be successful. You can't just keep changing things and expect anybody to have any success. So I, I would like to see the Browns succeed just uh, being, you know, uh, Midwesterners. we got to stick together. I'd like to see them uh, succeed a little bit. Um, but, yeah, they, they have to stop getting in their own way for that to happen. Yeah, you mentioned change. Uh, if you count interim coaches and coaching staff, fourth head coach, fourth offensive coordinator in three seasons. Not a good uh, recipe for success there. Not exactly conducive to, to breaking your quarterback in. And, and it um, doesn't help that two of the coaches are some of the worst ever to you know hold that no. title. Sure, yeah. And, and Hugh yeah. Jackson and Freddie Kitchens, but right. I'm well, not quite sure know. what Kevin Stefanski is. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting move too. You know, I, I, not not the most inspiring hire, but again, just give him a chance. Like, give him some time to at least make an honest effort. And if after three years, it's still really bad, then okay, you can move on, but don't expect things to just happen magically every year. Cause that's mm -hmm. clearly not how it works. Yeah. Uh, the, the way I see it. And I think this is a lot of times what, what people have with certain uh, players, you know, polarizing figures like Baker Mayfield mm -hmm. is that they remember what they were and what they were supposed to be when they come into the league and not what right. they actually are. And sure. what Baker Mayfield is, is he's not what we thought he was going to be. He's something different. Now, is that all his responsibility or his fault? Not necessarily. But the fact of the matter is he was absolutely awful with no pressure last year as a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And he was mm -hmm. equally as bad with pressure. I mean, he just, he wasn't good. He threw lots of interceptions, made bad decisions, mm -hmm. you know, on and off the field, made bad decisions last year. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you ever this ever came across... Uh, you know, your way, but there was a, a I guess, a, a rumor about uh, him in a Cheesecake Factory parking lot. Um, I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact uh, that it, I, it turned out not to be true, but the fact that there was actually s some momentum behind it does not necessarily help him. 
Right. I, I guess well, yeah, the, it, the believability. Sure. Yeah. It, again, to, to kind of juxtapose with luck, like if someone accuses luck of, of causing a scene in a restaurant, you know, uh, parking lot, people are probably going to be like, yeah, uh, did that really happen? I don't know about that one. So yeah, you, you, even in the face of disbelief, you kind of have to, to keep yourself out of any potential situations like that. You know, nothing good happens after midnight, like just <laughs> stay home, just do what you have to do. If you want to be entertained, you have enough money, bring the entertainment to you at home. You don't need to go out and, and seek out trouble. Uh, cause you never know where it's going to find you. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, how would you rate Baker just it's sort of the the thumb on the pulse of, of the Cleveland sports scene? What is his perception there? Like, is he losing support or is it still like a wait and see mode? OK, well, it's an interesting as always. It's an interesting way to that people evaluate the Browns because there, there's a very specific divide that exists in Browns fandom. And it's it's people that remember the last time an analytic analytically driven front office ran the show and how piss poor that went. And mm-hmm. it's the people that uh, are still analytics, you know, they still favor that method, but it, it's, it, it's a nonstop fight all day, every day. Um, if you, if you want to go just for a ride through hell, just go into Brown's Twitter, uh, take, <laughs> take a look around. Um, Analytics people still love Baker Mayfield because of what he was, which is mm-hmm. going back to what I said earlier, what he was versus what he is. He's not what mm-hmm. he was supposed to be or what the uh, seven, you know, seven, eight game sample showed in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the, there are people that are just completely out on him. I'm okay. I would put myself probably in the middle, but leaning towards out on him only because I just, I don't, I had concerns with him in college. Mm-hmm that have shown up in the pros. You know, he played mm-hmm. in the Big 12. Big 12s you don't know what the hell you're going to get out of a Big 12 quarterback. You could get right. you could get Colt McCoy, you could get Patrick Mahomes, you don't know. Right. It's it's a toss up. And more often than not you get the the lesser end of the spectrum than than the Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And when he got pressured in against Georgia, uh, he did not look good. He he tried to make so much out of it, and he would crumble. He would just kind of fall apart, and that's what you see when he gets pressured. Now is so he just mm-hmm. he buckles. He kind of he, he doesn't look good. It, there right. are times where he just needs to you know either eat the play or throw the ball away, and he just doesn't do either, mm-hmm. <laughs> resulting in a fumble or an interception or an even bigger loss of yards. Right. Uh, so I, I know someone. Uh, made the comparison a while ago when the Browns signed Case Keenum, but Baker Mayfield's a lot like Case Keenum, and people just don't refuse to accept that because everyone thinks of Case Keenum, they think of just, ugh. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure, and, yeah. But I, I think they're more alike than people want to realize or willing okay. to admit. Uh, you know, okay. It's a little bit of a stronger arm, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit more bravado, bigger personality, but... And that that can sometimes mask those deficiencies. Like if you if you have the personality of a number one quarterback and you mm-hmm. carry yourself as you know the alpha dog in the locker room, like that that might mask some of those deficiencies. But yeah, eventually you're going to have to actually make plays on the field. So uh, they're they're giving him the chances this year. I mean, he has weapons. I really like Harrison Bryant, the tight end out of Florida Atlantic. I think mm-hmm. you know he's not 
he's never going to be a, a Rob Gronkowski that's a two-way player where he can run block and do all that. But as far as a matchup tight end and sort of a, a threat um, to make plays from that position, I like that in the fourth round. He could be a steal. Um, and obviously you have the other weapons around him with Landry and Chubb and, and Beckham. And now with, with two new starting offensive tackles, like this is the time, you know, if Baker's going to do it, this is the year that mm-hmm. he needs to show it. So, um, it, you know, I, I wish him the best. And like I said, I think that that, that week five matchup is going to be a good one. I, I think it's going to be a great game, but yeah, for the Colts to, to come out of there with a win, you don't seem as confident in the Browns. Maybe <laughs> no. I'm maybe I'm overhyping them. So maybe the Colts can sneak out of there five and zero. Oh, but uh, I think it could be an exciting game either way. I I just I, I look at I look at the Browns. I, I look at them having to install yet another new offense. Sure, um, they're doing it right now during a time where nobody can hold training camps or anything in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jarvis Landry is recovering from off-season surgery. He should be mm-hmm. back by August, but it could be as late as September. Odell Beckham Jr. had his own surgery, so those are his two top receiving targets that when they even get into training camp, they will not be participating. Okay. And, and then, I mean, that leaves you with Rashard Higgins, who mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's replaceable. He's nothing. You know what I mean? Right, um, right. And... and then you got Austin Hooper, who he's a he's a fine tight end. I I would have rather saw the money go on the defensive side of the ball since they don't have sure. a defense. Sure. Uh, and then Harrison Bryant and David Njoku, and the less mm-hmm. said about David Njoku, the better. <laughs> and I think that that's that's sort of part of my thinking. You mentioned like all the transition and all the change. Like if this were a Week One matchup, I'd probably lean a lot heavier toward the Colts, but. After a month of the of this new season, you kind of get a sense for the system that's going to be in place there offensively and defensively. So um, I like that as, as sort of a bit of, of a momentum swell on the Brown side. But yeah, if you know, you never know. And, and the Colts are in a similar boat. I mean, Frank Reich was was Philip Rivers' offensive coordinator a few years ago, but he still has to learn the offense, and he ha- he has to do that through zoom basically. So, uh, it's not always the easiest thing to do to, uh, to completely learn a new language and, and not be there, uh, to take those lessons in person. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but I don't know. I, I still think it'll be a good game. It should be a good game. Just so you know, the Browns first four opponents are not easy in the way the schedule okay. works out. It's not easy. They play okay. at Baltimore week one. Mm. Then it's a quick turnaround Thursday night against Cincinnati week two. Okay. Is that, that in Cleveland or Cincinnati? That is in Cleveland. So okay. at least it's a home game, but Sure. So quick turnaround, which uh-huh. you know, 0 1 staring 0 2 in the face on a Thursday. Yeah. Washington, they should win that game, but mm-hmm. I've said they should win that game so many times over the past <laughs> twenty years that it could really go either way. Uh, right. week four at Dallas. Okay, that's a tough one. Yeah, so yeah. sort of the the opposite of the Colts, where Minnesota is a somewhat challenging game in that that first four, but Jacksonville, the Jets, and the Bears, there's not a lot to to really frighten me there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's a tough one coming in. If Landry and Beckham aren't able to learn the offense uh, enough, or you know, one of them's not able to play for one reason or another, mm-hmm. wheels could get off fast. Wheels could just sure. pop right off and. It, it could be absolute hysteria in Cleveland and not for not not the good one. <laughs> right. 
So who would, who would you say are like the the locker room leaders, at least as far as you can tell? Who are the guys that sort of spearhead the uh, the campaign there? Well, uh, definitely Jarvis Landry. Uh, okay. Definitely a vocal person. Definitely someone that people fall behind. Baker Mayfield is one, but I, I, I feel that, again, it's more personality and not necessarily performance-wise. Uh, mm-hmm. But the first guy is definitely, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry. I mean, Miles Garrett's a, a very good player, but I, I don't know if he's that type of vocal person that you see from, mm-hmm. from you know, other guys. Uh, they used to have someone, Christian Kirksey, who was that guy mm-hmm. for the defense, but he's in Green Bay now. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, it's not, it's pretty much Jarvis Landry, and I've heard criticism from people saying that if your wide receiver is the guy leading everyone, then that tells you all you need to know about your quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, but, sure. I mean, at least Baker Mayfield's making some sort of attempt in that way. It's just, I don't know if, if he's going to get the full buy-in of, of everyone if he's not performing up to the level that he should be. Right. Um, and I'm just curious. I, I haven't seen an update. Maybe I just missed the story. Is is Garrett, has he been reinstated or is he still yeah. suspended? He he, he's been, been yeah, he got reinstated a little while ago. So okay, he, I must have missed that story then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he's back. Uh, he'll be playing. They're looking to sign him to a contract extension. Um, yeah. Should be massive, but sure. I mean, how is Denzel Ward fit in since he? I mean, he was drafted just fourth, you know, the year yeah. that, that Baker was first. How has he been uh, in the last couple of years? Denzel Ward's performed good. He rocky start uh, at the beginning of last year. He had some injuries. Uh, he played well down the stretch as the season progressed. He's definitely a, a good player. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely one of the better corners. But um, you know, injuries, I guess, are becoming a sort of a concern. Uh, I see. If you know what I mean, just because he's kind of an undersized guy too. He's not one of the bigger corners in the league, so there's always that risk for a mm-hmm. smaller guy with that frame to come up and tackle and and you know muscle injuries or tendon whatever or you yeah. know the soft tissue injuries as they are. Yeah, so I mean injuries popping up. Injuries not necessarily a a good sign for him, but. Right. Ho- hopefully he can stay healthy, but I mean, once you start saying if he can stay healthy, it's an upward battle that you end up losing. Well, and I think that's a lot of what's happening with Malik Hooker in Indy as well. So a couple former Buckeye DBs there, you know, they they sure look good in in, in uh, scarlet and gray. But man, yeah, that next level, they just got to stay on the field. It's tough. Yeah, d- definitely not a, a good look. Uh, I want to get your opinion on something. So I'm sure you saw the the rumor a week ago that the Browns could have traded for Russell Wilson. Yeah, that was a like, I don't know what Seattle would be thinking to even propose that trade because that's the way I saw it was that Seattle reached out to Cleveland yeah. to offer that or do I have that backwards I, I saw I think it's Seattle reached out to Cleveland and I think that I think I it's because they were in contract negotiations with Russell Wilson uh-huh. and they could have uh-huh. hypothetically swapped out Russell Wilson for the number one pick took their new quarterback did the right. build around the quarterback on a cheap deal model sure and, would, and it worked for him before you know that's mm-hmm. that's they had Wilson on the dominant defense and since then everything has just fallen apart where it's now Russell Wilson is their only major player and mm-hmm. they are just trying to to kind of cobble things together with band-aids so yeah I, I don't know I was surprised at that one um I, I think Cleveland would have been smart to do it but again like you still have to have someone beyond like mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how different the situation would be for Russell Wilson 
in Cleveland than it was in Seattle. He's, in Seattle, he's running for his life on every play. And yeah. now they've sort of addressed the offensive line this offseason. But had that happened for the last two years, he would have just still been running for his life. So I don't know how, yeah. how different things would have been for him. Uh, you know, let's let's see how far you would go with this uh, imaginary trade scenario. So number one okay. overall for Russell Wilson. Obviously, slam mm-hmm. dunk, do it, right? Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. First and fourth overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that'd be that would be giving up Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward for Russell Wilson. Right, right. Yeah, and you know Cleveland would have been smart to to try to say Wilson for four, but you know Seattle probably had it stuck. You know, it's we want it's one, we one want our number one quarterback right. target. Yeah, sure. So, so one and four for for Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. You would do it. I don't know if I would. I would try for as long as I could to finagle something. I'd give up a, a first and a second, um, but and I, I I wouldn't give up one and four. I would give up one and one and a thirty three, but not one and a four. Okay. Um, again, you still have other holes to fill, mm-hmm. and you know now you're starting to say like, as I said, like why would Cleveland? Or why would Seattle even propose that deal mm-hmm. if they could get one and four out of it? Sure, that's going to help them a lot more than it's going to help the Browns to yeah. just get Russell Wilson. I, I would have traded one and four. I would have traded one, four, and 33 for Russell Wilson. Huh, okay. I mean, because okay. I don't know. The more I see of Baker Mayfield, the less I like. Yeah. Uh, Denzel Ward's a good corner, but a good corner shouldn't keep you out of getting a, a franchise quarterback. Right, sure. And 33 overall was Austin Corbett, and he's already been traded. So Okay, yeah, not not great. So looking at yeah. it from that perspective, you know, a little bit of hindsight, 1-4-33, who they took versus what they could have had, I would have took Russell Wilson sure. 100 times out of 100. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's so hard to win in this league without the guy as your quarterback. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, as Seattle is seeing now, like – he can still carry them to the playoffs, but he needs help around him. And, and Seattle has kind of fallen off as far as their roster construction in the last few years. Um, another questionable first round pick this year with Jordan Brooks, the mm-hmm. linebacker, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it would have made sense. I, I think you're probably right. Like, yeah, you can't, despite there being a literal price tag on a quarterback, you can't put a price tag on a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. So one and four probably would, would make sense uh, mm-hmm. for a player of, of Russell Wilson's caliber. He's not Kirk cousins. You know, he's not another mid range quarterback. He's, he's a top 10, top five guy. So he elevates yeah. the guys around him. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're probably right uh, to, to have wanted that deal. If it were proposed, um, I'd say one and four is probably that's reasonable. Absolutely reasonable. Yeah. So uh, this is after they already had Jarvis Landry, keep in mind. So they had Jarvis Landry. Right. Uh, this was, I think, David Njoku's but, second year. And, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he makes David Njoku not terrible. Um, maybe Was that Joe Thomas's last year, or did Joe Thomas retire before 2018? Joe Thomas retired before 2018. He did okay. not play with so, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So yeah. They, their left tackle was half a season of Desmond Harrison and mm-hmm. Greg Robinson. Um, okay, right, yeah. Uh, and I mean, Offensive so, line situation, not great. The only difference between right. 2018 and 2019 Browns is they still had Kevin Zeitler in the middle. Okay, And now yeah. he didn't have him last year. They right. played like 17 different people and they were all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So really, for I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Like for Russell Wilson, it would have been same, same circumstances. SSDD, you know. Yeah. 
uh, he, he still would have been running for his life on every play. So, it, you know, with Landry, it would help. And they still have the talent on defense. They just need to put things together. So, yeah, that's a, a, a really interesting what-if scenario, an interesting yeah. thought experiment that I'm not sure who it would have turned out better for. Because then if you're Seattle, who do you take at number one? Do you take Mayfield? Or at the time, there was still talk of Josh Rosen being number one or mm-hmm. – yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting one. And, and let me propose let me propose this ripple effect here. Uh, okay. They trade for Russell Wilson. Uh-huh. And since Russell Wilson's such a good quarterback, he doesn't need top-tier talent on his side of the football to mm-hmm. make the offense work. He gets the most out of his players. Sure. That means they don't have to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. That mm-hmm. means they keep Kevin Zeitler. That means they keep Jabril Peppers on the defense. So the defense isn't a, a complete waste anymore. Right. It means there's still a solid group in front of them, the middle three linemen. Mm-hmm. The team's looking entirely different now than it is in sure. that scenario versus what it is now because their defense is Swiss cheese right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who's their, their coordinator now? Uh, Joe Woods, the guy from San Francisco. Okay. Is he still running the the one high cover three cover one sort of uh, San Francisco type defense. I mean, I, I imagine that's what he's going to install some version of that. Um, okay. So it, it's, I mean, I'm sure he's going to adapt to what they're going <laughs> to, the, the guys yeah, sure. have there, but he'll run some version of it. I imagine. Cause that's right. what, that's why they hired him. They didn't hire him to be like, yeah. we're going to have you run something different now. Sure. Uh, but, but he wasn't there last year. I, that's no, what I, we had, we I, had, I knew they had moved on from Greg Williams, but I couldn't remember who. Uh, it was it was one un, it was one forgettable year of Steve Wilkes after he had one forgettable Steve year Wilkes. as okay. the Cardinals head coach. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's interesting. I, I, I now I, I can't get off of what Seattle would have done with one and four. Um, whether they would have <laughs> added like a Bradley Chubb or somebody like that, or hell, Quentin Nelson. You know, like it could have changed the the entire landscape for a bunch of other franchises that same mm-hmm. year. So. Do they go Darnold? Do they go Rosen? Do they go Lamar Jackson? Um, I think he might. Over- I think he might have been tempted to possibly even bypass quarterback at one. Take let's say Saquon Barkley, then at right. four, take Lamar Jackson. Right. Yeah, that would be an absolutely scary Seattle Seahawks yeah, offense. Can you imagine that? Holy crap! Yeah. Huh. I feel like they would have been skewered for taking a running back number one overall. Yeah, but, they would have. <laughs> um, but but Pete Carroll obviously does. You know, they drafted Rashawn Penny in the first round. They, they like they they do things their own way. They're very mm-hmm. committed to their system. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I, I know I've taken this completely off the oh, rails, that's just fine, pondering yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I, I would say maybe like a Bradley Chubb. With Lamar Jackson, whether that's one overall for Chubb and then and then four for Jackson or however else, but interesting because Sam Darnold doesn't really strike me, despite being a USC uh, guy, he doesn't strike me as a, a Pete Carroll type of quarterback. I think Lamar Jackson would probably be a better fit there. So not a not a not a drastic change to go from Russell Wilson to to Lamar Jackson, you know, style wise. Right. I mean, I mean Russell Wilson more polished passer, but. <laughs> Uh, right, Mar Jackson has that similar ability, obviously, with his legs. That maybe... and they're they're one of the more committed teams to running the ball, and they uh-huh. have been since since Pete Carroll's been there. So yeah, that that type of uh, support system around Jackson definitely wouldn't have asked him to to take over day one and throw the ball fifty times a game. So mm, that would have been interesting. 
I'm glad it shook out the way it did, at least for the Colts, because they got, you know, they got their guy in Nelson and then Darius Leonard in the second round. So I'm happy that things shook out the way they did. But yeah, man, that that really would have altered the landscape of, uh, of everybody. Yeah, that was a little fun. What if game there right there? Just kind of absolutely. Yeah, uh, I got two questions to wrap this up for you. Sure, uh, sure. Favorite all time Colts player? Mm-hmm. Current favorite Colts player? Favorite all-time, I mean, the easy cop-out is to say Peyton Manning just because of <laughs> what is. he meant to the organization. Um, like, I had DVR'd one of the replays that uh, was the 2009 Colts-Patriots game, uh, the fourth and two game when the Patriots went for it on fourth down, didn't mm-hmm. get it, Colts scored one. Uh, so just to watch, like, the talent on those teams from, like, the 2000 to 2010 Colts we may never see a, a group of talent like that again that only won one Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they went to another that year. They went to the Super Bowl and lost to New Orleans. So I won't say Manning. As much as he meant to the organization and to the city, uh, and, and I'll even go one further, like Indiana was a basketball state before mm-hmm. Peyton Manning took over there. And and I played high school football. I'm a high school football coach. This The, the caliber of high school football in Indiana has gone up since the Colts have gotten better, uh, you know, they've been really involved in the community and they've gotten, you know, some different seven on seven camps and they've donated equipment and stuff like that. So Peyton Manning means a ton just to the state of Indiana, the city of Indianapolis, but I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to go Dallas Clark. I loved the game that Dallas Clark had. Um, he was never a great impact blocker, but he was such a matchup nightmare in the passing game. And he was so important to what they did. Uh, they could line him up at a bunch of different places, and, and he was able to to really come up with some really solid statistical seasons. Uh, Twenty two thousand nine, that year they went to the Super Bowl. He had a uh, hundred catches, ten touchdowns, a thousand yards. Like he's he was a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he started to get injured, but like sure hands, like never he never wore gloves. He never had the stickum gloves, where mm-hmm. basically everything just gets velcroed. Like there was a game, I want to say it was against Baltimore where he caught a ball like this in the back corner of the end zone. I know this is a podcast that doesn't translate, but he was holding his hand like a waiter holding a tray of drinks. <laughs> like, and he just caught the ball in the back corner of the end zone with his palm up to the sky. It was one of the crazier things I've seen. Dallas Clark was a dude. Yeah. Uh, so I really, really liked him. He was an understated player on those really good teams that they had. So I'll go with him for, for uh, all time. Uh, for current, it's really hard to go against Quentin Nelson. I, I've kind of been ra- raving about him even in this episode. But mm-hmm. for a left guard to come in and have the impact that he has, yeah. um, there are those again, sort of the analytics community that say you don't draft guard at six, you don't you don't invest this heavily in the offensive line. You got to have a quarterback and a passing game. Like, okay, that's fine, but he has allowed your qu- the year before he was drafted, they gave up the most sacks in the league. His rookie year, they gave up the fewest sacks in the league. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> like, you don't go from 52 sacks to 17 or 18 in one year without a major overhaul of your offensive line. Yeah. Uh, and there are four other guys there, sure. But, man, he's he's a freaking refrigerator that could run like a deer. I mean, he's just a monster. So, I don't know. I, it's It's – exciting for me to just watch him moving people around as i mentioned i'm a former lineman so i kind of gravitate toward mm-hmm. line play but there aren't many people in the league that do it better than than quentin nelson right now so i i really love his game too yeah those are two excellent choices i mean we we've talked uh, you know a lot about quentin nelson but dallas clark definitely uh 
very likable guy. Uh, one of those sneaky fantasy tight ends. Uh, I don't know if you're a fantasy sure. football guy, but he was always one of those guys that would just kind of be available in that second, third round of tight ends that go. And right. he would always be one of the better tight end performers. Sure. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those things that, that those offensive personnel groupings that they had with Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, like, who are you going to stop? Who are, <laughs> if you're going to, even if you have two lockdown corners, okay, then I hope your safeties can cover Clark one-on-one because they, they just had so much talent in that passing game. So I don't know. I miss the days of yore. Uh, hopefully things are trending in the, in the right direction there. But yeah, Clark was a really important player for the things they did offensively. Yeah. Dallas Clark, definitely, uh, definitely a favorite of this guy over here. Who's not even a Colts fan, but <laughs> right. definitely, definitely uh, one of my favorite uh, players that played for the Colts. Uh, somebody else I love that played for the Colts. Uh, more known for his media personality now is the one and only Pat McAfee. He is entertaining as hell. <laughs> the boomstick. Yeah. No, he, he, uh, I, I remember the, his rookie year when he got arrested for swimming in a canal downtown. On, oh, on he'll the dispute that story over and over yeah. again. Well, yeah, way. allegedly. Sorry. Uh, allegedly, allegedly swimming in the canal downtown <laughs> on his bye week. Uh, but yeah, so you're thinking, dude. Rookie punter gets arrested like this guy's freaking out of here. And then he turns into like the best punter in the league. Uh, and yeah, no, a huge bummer that he disappoint that he, he uh, retired when he did that. He walked away. at sort of the prime of his career, but mm-hmm. he's got a great thing going now. He's entertaining. He's got a bright future. Let's get him in the Monday night football booth. Like let's, <laughs> let's just take the reins off. Let him go. Let him go full McAfee. Uh, that, yeah. Oh, he's an entertaining one. That'd be so good to see him on there. It, when he called that lions game with the fake, uh, the fake field right, goal, that yeah, was yeah. Just, as soon as, as soon as the, the holder stands up, he's going to go, Oh, like he knows what's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he had a, he still kind of talks about it. I think on his show, they called a fake punt uh, against Dallas. They ended up getting blown out by Dallas, uh-huh. uh, but he takes it and just delivers this beautiful ball to the gunner, Dewey McDonald. And yeah. He was a safety by trade and just dropped it. And, it. and then that, that was sort of it. The floodgates were open after that. So I think that final was like 52 to seven. Like it was an embarrassing <laughs> game. Uh, but, you know, it probably wouldn't have been much different if, if he had completed that pass. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, uh, I think it was still 0-0 at that point. So, yeah, he was he was a fun one to have around. I, I'm glad to see he's doing well, and uh, I, I hope he has a successful career in media because I, I enjoy watching him. I even like watching his college games with him and Hasselbeck just mm-hmm. kind of ribbing each other in the in the booth there, yeah. quarterback and punter. But, well, let me flip it on you then. Okay. Who are your uh, favorite Browns all-time and current all time and current. Okay, so all time, definitely Bernie Kosar. Big Bernie Kosar mm-hmm. fan. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, that's the only uh, Browns jersey I own now. Uh, I have several that are in storage that uh, less said about them, the better. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm not the only Browns fan with that problem. But Bernie Kosar is my, I have two different Bernie Kosars. I have a home and an away. Uh, okay. Uh, current, current. that's where things get a little bit more difficult. Um I'd probably go with Jarvis Landry. Uh, I really okay. like Jarvis Landry. Um, very just engaging player. Uh-huh. Uh, he just, he's, I mean, a lot of people like to complain about Jarvis Landry because he's a, a product of of targets and usage, and, and people like to complain that he's not efficient and all this other crap. Or I'm thinking, right. it, a receiver's got to be good. In order to be good, he's got to get the ball thrown to him. Oh, I don't know what you yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I remember one guy once the Browns uh, traded for him. It's like enjoy him and his uh, 
you know, whatever his yards per catch was, it was like, I don't know, eight or something, right? Like, I'm like, well, two completions of Jarvis Landry is a first down, so I don't care. Right, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, sure, yes, if, if he catches three balls a game for three touchdowns, great, but yeah. that's not really how the NFL works, so. Yeah. Was he the guy on Hard Knocks that did the, uh, kind of had the tirade that, like, that shit is contagious? Was that him? Was that yeah, he had, he had the big the big speech on Hard Knocks. That was yeah, him? Was okay, him. yeah. All right, yeah. So, yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Cool. The, no, no love for Joe Thomas? I love Joe Thomas. Um, definitely hard to not pick him as a, as a former one. Just, you know, Bernie right. Kosar is always my, you know, my favorite yeah. f- former sure. one. You know, you know, gotta, you know, have to pick a quarterback, but, you know, he's just... I love Joe Thomas. Very, very entertaining person himself. Very, mm-hmm. you know, one of the best left tackles ever to do it, but... You know, no, I like his just, insight now that he's working for NFL Network. I, I like what he's bringing to the table now too. So. Yeah, yeah, but if I, number two is Joe Thomas, a, a former Browns. Okay, very easy fair. number two.